I probably would have been willing to have a little more patience if it was one particular deer. But where I kind of said, hey, a buck from this range to this range would get me excited and I'd, I'd be comfortable tagging out at this point in the hunt. That's, that's what essentially made me say, hey, I think we can find more deer like this buck if we were to blow them out. Um, I wasn't banking on one opportunity or one deer in particular. Kind of have to play a little risk management in your head. And obviously there's been circumstances, even this last fall as well, where in hindsight, I wish I would have waited or been a little more patient or done things a little differently. And as bad as it hurts, I think most of the time, the circumstances that I've learned most is when I've screwed things up instead of things going right. Making sure A, had had enough fuel in the tank, B, that I was physically prepared or doing enough to where it wasn't a way drastic change from five days before the hunt to five days in the hunt. And then just making sure that I had either like good socks, good boots, gear that will dry out quick if it got wet or gear to keep me dry. If your first thought isn't, hey, I can do this and this is gonna work out, then do do whatever you gotta do to get to that point so that you're not putting mental roadblocks or essentially telling yourself, hey, this isn't gonna work out because I, I'm i not ready in, in a sense, right? It, no, like you said, it's it's definitely more mental than anything, but that's it's honestly where it all starts is is in your head. Welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I'm going into my 15th year of podcasting. Can't believe it's been that long. I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy, but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member, we have partnered with Go Hunt. So now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt, and if you look at their insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is is their mapping software and it's completely dedicated just to hunting you know it's got the public and private land boundaries offline maps 3d point tracker and all the western states are included it's a it's a great tool so you get that plus with the insider you get the advanced filtering and search tools industry leading draw odds unit profiles and uh, easy to read state regulation overviews and species profiles and expert insights and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways so the go hunt insider subscription is an awesome deal right but it's 149 dollars a year and if you've been on the fence and didn't know you if you wanted to spend that 149 dollars let me tell you it's really worth it but we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Halfa Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a insider or a explorer package, you not only get a free subscription to go hunt and get all those 
awesome benefits that we talked about, but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howl for Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners. You are automatically included in the Howl for Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for for perpetuity here and so our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it. And uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, Go Hunt jumped on board with us. And um, it's a great way to support Halfa Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time. And it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. Welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, using, I don't want to say special tactics, but different tactics and maybe a couple of things like being ready for whatever endeavor you're about to embark on. We're going to talk to Alex Millwood. And um, he's going to share some stories with us, and and we're going to pick his brain a little bit about uh, hunting deer and uh, and hunting elk. So, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me, John. No, absolutely appreciate you coming on. So, uh, give us a little rundown about yourself, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of hit it. Yeah. Um, so, I currently live in Utah. Grew up in great state of Idaho feel super fortunate i've been able to work a little bit in the outdoor industry over the last couple of years whether it was at an archery shop selling camouflage currently work at uh peak refuel here here in utah definitely love to love to get out as much as we can whether it's hiking hunting chasing critters whatnot but uh yeah have felt super fortunate to meet meet some people that have really either help me in, in one way or another when it comes to hunts or jobs as well. Sweet. What do you do for, uh, for peak? So I manage all, all sales in the country of Canada currently. Um, we've got quite a few dealers up there and, uh, making sure that stuff gets across the border. All right. Quite a hassle, but Hey, it's, uh, it pays the bills and we, we get a do, things that aren't the average nine to five. So I can't complain one bit. Nice. Oh yeah. So, um, I guess let's kind of, let's start with why I know you, you were going to share some stories with me when I was on the phone with you the other day, maybe let's go that route and, and kind of listen to the stories and then kind of transition to some of the questions that I might have. Yeah, for sure. Just kind of see, kind of see where things go here. Yeah, so honestly, every every year is pretty different, right? And I, I'm kind of onto the younger 
in that younger crowd. I'm only 26. I feel like I'm learning more and more every year. But uh, this last this last fall, we had quite the November when it came to deer hunts. I like to hunt a couple different states, archery for, like you said, mule, mule deer and elk. Mm-hmm. Um, November is pretty special. You get some of those deer that kind of just come out of the woodwork. Um, I love, I love oh, the rut. That's by far my favorite. Yeah, definitely some different, uh, different strategies and different tactics that go into play versus like an August or September mm-hmm. high country hunt. But last year we kind of had to be quick on our feet. Essentially we headed out on a hunt mid November, hoping, hoping to chase either, either whitetail or mule deer with the focusing on mule deer mm-hmm. got out to where we wanted to be pretty bad EHD outbreak. And so, um, numbers, numbers were definitely down. We ended up, ended up focusing on mule deer and in this particular area that we were hunting, it was super, super wide open. Prairie, and prairie type. Yes, sir. Yeah. Breaks, prairie, um, whatnot, desert. And so we, we kind of had to get a little strategic. We tried everything from wearing ghillies, a handmade ghillie suit and, and belly crawling to try to get within bow range. We made a, a big decoy that looked like a, a moo cow to try to get within range as well. Tried a little bit of everything, honestly. And we, we got super lucky one day in particular, we had quite a bit of wind, um, that, that played to our advantage. There were a couple deer bedded in a 50 yard vicinity, if you want to call it that. And kind of just had to belly crawl as close as we could start throwing dirt clods these deer were super hunkered down we actually hit hit a doe in the back twice with a mud ball <laughs> size of a softball and she she didn't even move she just are you kidding me that's crazy no she she just hunkered down even even further and so uh i mean it's especially that hunt there were a lot of stocks that we could have just backed out and said hey this doesn't look ideal or as of where we're sitting at this vantage point, it doesn't look like we're going to have an opportunity or have a play, but we had honestly no other option. So we said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to give it our best. And if, if this stock doesn't work out, hopefully we can drive or walk a couple folds over and, and get into more deer. But uh, long, long story short, ended up getting a, a doe to stand up. She busted us. The bigger buck that we were after ran out, took off, didn't even stop. But we had uh, we pre-ranged all of the other deer that were laying down, and one one of them stood up, watched the other deer run away, and luckily he hung out long enough to uh, to get a shot off and um, sealed the deal on that one. Within a a twenty four hour period of the time that we killed that deer, we we were super fortunate and had two other awesome stocks ended up killing three, three mule deer in 36 hours. And then we were trying to get home to Utah and we had to, we had to uh, hunker down for 
few days essentially the wind was blowing 60 miles an hour we had a uh enclosed trailer that we were pulling waited till the wind died down drove through the night got home to utah like i said it's mid-november and we all still had tags in our pockets got home about 3 30 in the morning i had enough caffeine in my system that i said you know what it's <laughs> it's time of the year to kill deer there's no sense in going home and, and sleeping in so i drove home got my utah tag ran up the hill in in this area in particular there's a lot of people that that, that know of the area a lot of people that hunt the area and it was a saturday so i i honestly could have just said you know what i'm gonna go home sleep in go during the week when there's not as many people but the the phrase always goes can't can't kill them from the couch mm -hmm. and so took took off hiking up the hill worked worked through a couple different draws um one in particular that didn't have a trail and that was i mean from a certain glassing point you can't really see into it kind of worked my way up through there got like i said super fortunate uh right place right time a single doe was moving through this oak brush oak brush patch she walks out on the other side there was a a buck that i felt um fell into that shooter caliber for me and uh he followed her out of that oak brush patch at 65 yards got him to stop for a second and uh got a shot off so it was a super super exciting four days of of mule deer hunting it seemed like we worked super hard august through october with no shot opportunities and then i mean it's just a matter of matter of persistence and uh not giving up i'd say and had had some of the best four days of of mule deer hunting that we've had in a while it's pretty productive four days man <laughs> yes sir seriously yep. um Fit, fifth, four deer 1500 miles apart yeah that's crazy within a matter of four days crazy 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 real quick what what uh you said you got him to stop what is it that you do to typically to stop an animal bad animal or oh man as as funny as it sounds i mean watching the, growing up watching the outdoor channel or these guys that hunt whitetail honestly just like a little lip squeak or the typical man yeah um i i don't know why it works i wonder if it was just a noise that the deer was got got them to stop for just long enough and uh yeah is like i said as funny as it is the typical doe bleat or grunt whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. um bleat to try to get them to hang tight for a second okay i just just curious um i wanted yeah. to back up to when you first started telling the you know telling the story you said something about you know not having enough time to like sit there and wait them out do you typically wait for your best opportunities let's say you're on a i don't know 10 day hunt and you found the stud buck and he's maybe not in the greatest spot but are you typically waiting for those opportunity like for the best opportunity or do you just take whatever comes your way probably take it on a case case by case scenario like mm -hmm. like you kind of mentioned um in in this particular circumstance um where we kind of were super bold and kind of had to go go all in 
we we have seen. Well, let me ask you before you get that. Say that. What, yeah. Go ahead. What what did you, what made you feel like you had to go? You know, you had to be bold and go all in. Like what what was what was the circumstance? You just you didn't have enough time. You had to leave. What what was the? We had a couple more days, but I think we were we were sick of the. I'd say the day before, even a day and a half, we had sat and waited, watching for a better opportunity, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and the circumstances hadn't changed up to that point over over the course of a day, day and a half. Got it. Um, so it might have been a little bit of impatience on my end. And granted, we we didn't have a particular deer that we were had our had our sights on for the whole trip. Um, mm-hmm. There obviously were some bucks that were a little bigger than others. Over the last couple of years, I've noticed there's there's a window of or a, a specific age age class that we're trying to hunt something that's older than three and a half, but we at least in this area we've been to, we haven't seen any, any giants up to this point. So if hypothetically, if this deer was bigger than any buck I've shot, say 190, I probably would have been willing to have a little more patience mm-hmm. if it was one particular deer, but where, where I kind of said, Hey, a buck from this range to this range would get me excited. And I'd, I'd be comfortable tagging out at this point in the hunt. That's that's what essentially made me say, "Hey, I think we can find more deer like this buck if we were to blow them out." Um, I wasn't banking on on one opportunity or one deer in particular. Got it. Got it. No, cause I, I bring it up. I, I'm asking mainly because I'm trying to. My philosophy is, especially in the rut. Okay. There's no guarantees that that deer is going to even stick around. He might catch a whiff of a freaking doe four miles away and, you know, be gone the next day. Absolutely. Um, I think it goes back to what you were saying about being a little bit like a little bit more situational. But like in the early season, if I'm like hunting high country and I'm up in a basin and I know if I blow that deer out of that basin, I'm probably not going to have an opportunity at anything else there. You know, I could see myself possibly waiting <laughs> i'm not really I, I agree I, I am not great at waiting uh I, I think it goes back to what you were saying you know if it's like an absolute you know stud or the would be the biggest buck or just something character wise about him or whatever that made me want to wait then yeah i could i could see that happening basically i don't know my I guess my philosophy is you work hard to get an opportunity or you work hard to find them Right, and then, and then you got to work hard to again to create an opportunity, but you only get so many, right? And I feel like when when I'm presented with something that's doable, like if I know it's absolutely not doable, obviously I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to try. But if right. it, if there is, you know, a ten percent or better chance that I can make it happen, <laughs> I'm I'm going to do it. Right? That's just kind of absolutely. My, that's kind of my philosophy, uh, and that goes with time. Like you know, those days where you like you spot something, and you're like, oh shit, man, I got an hour and a half left before dark, and 
I don't know. It's going to take me an hour to get there. And, you know, like those things type, I, I typically push it. <laughs> um, you know, I actually had a, we had a, this was just Havelina, so it wasn't really like a high profile deal, but it just reminded me of this past season. I had a, uh, a muzzleloader hunter and we spotted them and I had literally like 30 minutes max and we had a, you know, cross like 800 yards of rollers and then down and up with this deal to get within, you know, range. And he shot basically at like last legal. And, um, anyway, it's just, it's like one of those things. Like if I, if I know that I have a chance, I'm going to do it, you know? Right. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Kind of have to kind of have to play a little risk management in your head. And obviously there's been, circumstances even this last fall and as well where in hindsight i i wish i would have waited or been a little more patient or done things a little differently and as bad as it hurts i think most of the time the circumstances that i've learned most is when i've screwed things up instead of things going right and so i think one of the biggest things that's helped up to this point is honestly just trying to get out as as much as i physically can mm-hmm. and as as the more times i mess up i'll hopefully remember that going into next year and uh and be able to say hey this this didn't work so well i've had experiences similar like this in the past maybe i'll i'll apply that here and, and try again yeah for sure I mean, listen, there's no substitute for time, time and effort. And I, and I don't consider myself an expert really on any specific kind of, I'm like one of those jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, for sure. You know, some people consider me an expert, but I don't consider myself an expert. And I always tell people, I'm like, you know, when I've been asked this question, what differentiates me from you? Like, and I was just like, time, man, time in the field. Like, how many days do you spend in the field? And it's like, oh, yeah, no, two weeks out of the year or whatever, three weeks. And that's a lot for a lot, some people, right? And and then, you know, myself, I'm like, yeah, I'm like 70 days or 80 days in the field. And that's that's a lot. Um, a couple of years ago on my podcast, we were talking about, you know, having experience. Like, if you think about how most people, their hunting experience is, you know, if they say, I've, oh, I've been hunting for 20 years, right? And, but in reality, if you look at it, in 20 years, if they spend an average of 10 days, right, that's 200 days. And then you go to somebody that spends 50 days a year, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that experience, you know, that's why when people come and like, oh, why am I going to hunt with this kid? He's, he's, you know, one of my guides or something, and he's, you know, is in his early, you know, younger than you, early twenties or whatever. I'm like, well, he spends 120 days a year in the field. Like, <laughs> well, he he knows better than me, you know, like, but exactly, it's just, uh, it's one of those things. Like, see, if you the more time you spend at anything, the better you're going to be at it, and and be able to recall 
from your experience Absolutely. to make the right decisions. So, and there, there's definitely been some sacrifices that I've I've had to make in order to spend that amount of time, right? And it's like, well, I'd I'd rather drive an older, paid off vehicle in order to stash away some cash in order to go on two or three out of state hunts a year or work extra hours or, or whatnot in order to take a, a Friday and a Monday off hunt, hunt a long weekend. I think one of the biggest things or mentality you could call it that I've had is attributed to my dad. He said, Hey, if, if there's something that you want to accomplish, just put your mind to it, go for it. There's never, never a reason why you can't, Mm -hmm. um, can't, can't do what you want to do. And so I've just kind of had to take, take that mentality and say, Hey, whether it's, I mean, I've, I started a mobile bow shop, for example, to try to earn extra thousand bucks here, there I've donated plasma. I've (laughs) sold stuff in the garage on Facebook marketplace. Mm Mm-hmm. Some people say, hey, it's it's not worth it or that's kind of embarrassing or whatnot. But it's it's not not, not embarrassing enough to not not go elk hunting every fall or uh pick up an extra tag or two. And so You do um, what you you do what you gotta do. Nothing is out of reach if you put your you know if you put exactly your it, really. I mean Yeah, it's nothing's out of reach. There's and, some and, some limitations to that, but I guess but I hear exactly what you're saying. I remember and I was already pretty established. I was get, I was already married at this time. The very first time I went hunting in um, in Washington, I did this very same thing. Like I had a new, you know, I was I had a kid on the. I think I had a kid on the way, or did I already just have my first child? No, I had a kid on the way. I just gotten married, and you know, so things were a little tight, and I had some you know things going on with business that I was like, so I end up selling a bunch of crap that I didn't need and I did a bunch of things so I can put together some money to go on a elk trip in in Washington you know so like yeah exactly you do what you gotta gotta do do, do. right yeah no that's awesome I, I like that mentality for sure what were uh what were some of the uh you had mentioned the cow decoy and all that stuff. Where, uh, I'd like to hear what your uh, experiences were with, because I use a cow decoy all the time. Actually, shameless plug for Montana decoys, friends of mine. I don't get them for free or anything like that. They're just, he's a good guy. And he's, uh, he's actually made me a few of my own custom ones. I, I've sent him some photographs and he's, he's built me some big cow ones to hide two guys behind. And, uh, they work great. So I kind of want to hear what you're, what you, you guys were throwing at them. You know, you said you ghillie suit and all that stuff real quick. I want to dive into that before we go into the elk hunting. Yeah, definitely. So especially when we were hunting whitetail, um, we kind of, we felt like we might've been there a little early. This, this wasn't last year. This was the year before mm-hmm. we were probably a week or two early in the deer hadn't quite split up the bucks weren't pinning down does super hard up to that point and it was even more open i guess than where we were hunting mule deer pretty flat as well and so like you mentioned the ghillie suit i have a buddy that is very creative you could say and is he's an engineer so he's really good with 
with having an idea and, and instead of just thinking about it, putting, putting it all together. Um, and so he handmade a ghillie suit. I felt at least out of the stocks that we have, like with the cow decoy compared to the ghillie suit. And I don't know if it's just because it, it breaks up your outline a little bit more. We've definitely had a little bit more success with the ghillie suit than, than anything else. Um, two things, okay. two things there, you're a lot more concealed and we, the cow decoy that we have, it's a definitely a bigger silhouette that you can fit two people behind those whitetail, even though they weren't that pressured, they were honestly some of the most cracked out, like skittish deer I've ever seen. White and so in general, <laughs> right. Yeah, and being from Utah, I hadn't I hadn't had many whitetail experiences, you could call it. And so we get out there, and it's like, hey, we we did a lot of things that, or we'd hiked further, or tried to drive around and, and get permission to get into some of these spots to where we we knew people hadn't been in there much. Um, but yeah, super super skittish, and so I I'd say the ghillie suit honestly was if i had to pick between a cow decoy or a deer decoy or the ghillie suit um the ghillie suit and kind of just trying to balance your bow on your back and uh army crawl has gotten me closer more than anything up to this point gotcha hey guys i wanted to take a moment to discuss some really important stuff with you take a minute and think hard about what hunting and fishing and the outdoors means to you. Now, I want you to imagine if all of that went away. It's a pretty grim picture, right? Now that I have your attention, there's a long time narrative out there that has been promoted by the anti-hunting and fishing groups to paint sportsmen and women as villains. We need to stop this narrative. We need to bring the truth to light. So how do we do that? We educate ourselves on the North American model of conservation and the common myths that are pushed out by the animal activists. We take this knowledge and we start communicating with our non-hunting friends, coworkers, and just educate them on the truth. But I really want you to become an expert in your own right because the last thing we want to do is to put out false information or to offend somebody. So it's really important to just fill yourself with knowledge and become, unfortunately, become an activist. You have to become an activist. And I know that's a dirty word, but now more than ever, it's important for us to do that. We need to start planting our own seeds. That way we develop more people. We turn more people into sympathizers because Right now, we're faced with these issues where if a anti-hunting bill reaches the ballot, now, Halfa Wildlife has been very successful at eliminating that, getting there, but we can't rely on that, unfortunately. If it gets to the ballot, the anti-hunting, the animal activist groups, animal rights groups, they are in position to launch campaigns to the non-hunting public and they will pump propaganda into 
urban areas where people don't necessarily know anything about hunting and fill their minds with all kinds of lies and paint pictures of cute and cuddly bears and lions and wolves and paint this terrible picture of you, the hunter, the sportsman, who is the whole reason why these animals are on the landscape. So it is important for us to start in a grassroots effort, start changing the minds and educating the non-hunting public on the truth. That way, if something like this does go to the ballot box, you have possibly created a sympathetic voter for the sportsman. Keep that in mind. Think about it. Thank you very much. Let's get back to the show. You said you had a you had an Idaho hunt last year, or yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. So I I grew up in Idaho. Um, I moved to Utah, I think five or six years ago. But it's I definitely make it a priority to get back every single year. And uh, I'd say on average, I try to block out anywhere from from seven to ten days to make it worth the the eight hour drive the six hundred dollar tag and whatnot try try to block out a good chunk of time um and that's that's honestly i think one of the things we talked about was just being being ready for anything that can get thrown at you during during that time frame whether it's weather um having enough food or and i guess not even just enough food but i hadn't really tracked how many like calories i was burning on a daily basis until last year i think two years ago had i have a garmin watch that gives you an estimate of of what you're putting out but there was a hunt in particular where i i had 10 days blocked out we were coming down to the wire 23rd 24th of september and I honestly, I gave up a day and a half early because I was, I was beat. I was worn out. Didn't have enough food. It was, it was super wet, super cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I threw in the towel. And looking back, it was probably one of the biggest things that I wouldn't say motivated me, but it stung more than anything. And so I said, "Hey, I will, I'll take accountability." and be ready in, in every single aspect that I can so that on a, on a hunt where you're either going out of state or say, if you were to draw a good tag and need, need more time that I'd be as ready as possible for, for as ready as I am on day 10, as I was on day one type deal, whether it's physical, mental, mm-hmm. what, what have you, but, yeah, last year was super fun. Um, went up with a buddy of mine. He got a sinus infection on on day four. Um, kind of put a damper on things, but he he ended up killing a bull on day day five. I think I had to shoot between two trees on a on a bull on day. I think it was day eight, and smoked the tree, if you will. Mm-hmm. Tried to dig out my broadhead cut my finger pretty good had to go get stitches but uh honestly that elk hunt was probably one of the ones where i would say i wish i would have been a little more patient i wish i would have been a little more strategic 
there were a couple stocks in the warning as the wind was starting to switch where I, I got a little more aggressive than, than I had in the past or, and got caught up in the wind and, and whatnot. But, um, I think the, the biggest thing that, that I learned over, over that trip was, um, even though there, I mean, there was elk in every Canyon that we went up, if there was pines, there was water and you got three, two, three miles away from the road, there were elk everywhere. And so I, I took that for granted and was, was too aggressive. I'd say most of the trip and ended up blowing, blowing a couple stocks. I wish I could, wish I could have back, but, uh, to, Don't we all? to that point, yeah, the, the year before it was set second to last day, probably an hour before it got dark and these elk were 600 yards 600 yards out ankle high sagebrush with one little patch of pine and i said you know what i i don't have time i don't know if i'll have this same opportunity tomorrow and so i did get super aggressive and was able to get into 65 yards get a shot and shot shot a solid six point and so it's i yeah last year it was super tough because it I did things that I'd done in the past, but figured out that I needed to adapt and take every situation differently versus more of a scientific or mathematical approach saying, Hey, this worked last time. So it's definitely going to work this time. Right. Mm -hmm. But no, super, super fun stretch of 10 days in September. And, uh, can't, can't wait to get back. Yeah. Same here. I had an awesome trip and, and uh in Elkwoods last year um i'm not going to rehash it on here because everybody that's listening has probably heard me talk about it several times if you haven't go to my youtube you can see the the whole hunt there but you had said something uh in the beginning when you started talking about this about when you were telling the story about running out of you know not not necessarily running out of food but you were just you quit and so I could definitely relate. I've only given up, you know, early once or twice in my life. And that feeling of regret of not seeing it to the end was way worse than me ever, you know, going home with a, with a tag sandwich, you know, um, for sure. I don't think I've ever, I know if I put in all the effort that I possibly can, that I I usually don't have any regret um, not going on a trip that I have a tag for. Those eat at me, and 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 leaving early has has the couple times once I think it's two maybe maybe three times that I can think of possibly that I have in you know forty years of hunting. But um, I had a question exactly as to what it is that you. You said you were holding yourself uh, accountable, or, or some. I don't remember how you wrote it. I should have. I should have jotted it down because I knew you were going to finish telling the story before I was going to ask this. But what are you doing? What did you have you done? What? How did that change what you're doing in preparation for your hunts? I guess. I'd say, I mean, probably two, two or three parts to this one. Um, the first one was making sure that I. I was eating enough to have like uh, enough calories through the day. I have a buddy that's a 
a nutritionist and I want to say it was two or three months after I got home from that hunt, I just started picking his brain. And when I told him how much I was eating and how much I was hiking, he's like, dude, you're an idiot. You're in a two to 3000 calorie deficit every day. That's why, I mean, combining that day after day, you, you didn't have enough energy was you're, you're not putting enough, enough gas in the tank. But it, especially when it came to just trying to get in shape, um, I'm definitely not the type that goes to the gym every day, if you want to call it that. Um, but I, I tried to focus on things that would, would help me be, be in shape for the elk woods. So I took like a, a 40 pound bag of rice, have a hill behind the house, and I'd go hike that every other day do 1500 feet in elevation with a 40 pound pack or that'll do it. (laughs) Yeah, it'll, it definitely helps. Um, or even, even just jogging. I mean, it didn't have to be, and I definitely didn't start out every day. I don't do it every day now, but, um, just making sure a had, had enough fuel in the tank B that I was physically prepared or doing enough to where it wasn't a, a way drastic change from five days before the hunt to five days in the hunt. And then just making sure that I had either like good socks, good boots, gear that will dry out quick if it got wet or gear to keep me dry. You don't have to spend 2,500 bucks and have top of the line, everything, but it's, it's definitely worth I mean, uh, there's a couple pieces that I have that are maybe like $500 rain jacket or a uh, $350 soft shell that's definitely worth its weight in gold to keep you dry, keep you comfortable. If you feel good, you'll hunt harder, you hunt harder. Hopefully there's more opportunity to have success. Oh, yeah, for sure. I And this is coming from, you know, I'm all – Mr. Sitka now, but it's great stuff. Mr. Mr. Matchy Matchy and all that. But really it wasn't that long ago. I think I think I've been doing Sitka since 2015. So previous to that, I used to wear pretty much Walmart camo. I would go and um, I I loved the uh, Wrangler had camouflage jeans they were like um natural gear it's mm-hmm. really like kind of a just a good all-around pattern for desert and for whatever i would wear that i would wear the same pattern but i would wear you know just like cotton long sleeves and you know i'd wear a lot of fleece tops and man i had you know and when i was like hunting whitetail it was all like just big fleece uh you know heavy fleece stuff like fleece pants and fleece and i i had tremendous success you know like there was it's not so i get it when people say oh you don't need that to to be because you don't you don't need it but exactly what you said when you feel good and it's not even necessarily just the comfort because that, I mean, comfort's a huge thing, right? That you can you can mm-hmm. easily draw a line between comfort and performance, right? But right. there is a right. mental aspect 
that I never really knew. And it's kind of funny the way I the way I put it now is like when I put on a full like Sitka outfit, right? And everything's matchy matchy or whatever. I feel like I'm putting on like a suit of armor and it gives me this confidence. Like it, it boosts my confidence that I am prepared for whatever it is that I'm going to face that day. And yeah, I don't know. That's it's, it's translated. I feel like it's translated into, I mean, I can't say that it's really, my success rate has gone up substantially, you know, substantially because of it. But I feel like there was, there was a difference. Like, like I can, I can feel difference. I don't know if it's quite as good now because I've made that realization and you know, like it's, it's the whole placebo effect thing. Like once you're aware of it, it's no longer effective, but I don't know. It's like, uh, I think there's something to it psychologically. If you feel good about yourself and what you're wearing and how you look and in anything in life, you're going to perform better. And it translates into hunting as well, I think. So, yeah, I I played baseball for a long time, and I think baseball players are some of the most superstitious people around. And uh, I agree with you on that aspect. It's the amount of confidence, whatever gives you that confidence, do it. Because if you're in a situation and the first thing that you say in your head is, uh, I, I don't think I'm ready for this, or mm, I, it's not ideal, I don't think this is going to work out, or... Mm-hmm man, if, if I had this, I think whether it's better binos, better boots, better camo, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. if your first thought isn't, Hey, I can do this and this is going to work out, then do, do whatever you got to do to get to that point so that you're not putting mental roadblocks or essentially telling yourself, Hey, this isn't going to work out because I, I'm not ready in, in a sense. Right. It's oh, yeah. like you said, it's, it's definitely more mental than anything, but that's it's honestly where it all starts is mm-hmm. is in your head. Yeah, I was just actually having this conversation with um, I think it was Andy May, and I've always told people like if you can't and now this is this is coming away from your gear, uh, you and something you said about you know your first thought or if you don't feel like you can make it work or whatever. If you put yourself in a shot situation or you put yourself in a stalking situation or whatever, and you can't see yourself doing that, you can't see yourself executing that stalk or executing that shot, you can't visualize it happening, you've already failed. Like, might as well not even go. Right? Like, if, right, you, if, don't, if you don't see that it's going to work out, then it's probably not going to work out because you're not, you got to be able to visualize, you got to be able to see yourself doing things for them to happen. And and we were, we were talking about this, the shot process too, you know, like when I draw back my bow and I let an arrow fly, I never want to be surprised that I actually made the shot. I don't be like, Oh my God, it actually worked. Like I, I actually hit that, (laughs) you know? know? Right. Exactly. you know whether it's true or not, you got to feel like oh, you're, this is your mind. You know, ice in the veins. Yep. Like this is, you're you're dead. You know, I'm 100%. not. I'm not missing. And if I go back and I think about 
any time that I've ever missed. Now, bad shots, those are usually different. Those are usually like the animal reacted differently than you expected or, you know, circumstantial circumstantial stuff. But usually a miss, it's all because you thought in your head, I shouldn't be taking the shot to begin with. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that's usually what happens. And and, and to, I guess on, on that note, going back to that Idaho elk story, the, the tree or the arrow landed up in the, in the tree, not in, not in the bowl. And I took a picture of the arrow in the tree and that's, I mean, I taped it inside of my bow case um, (laughs) just as, as a reminder of like, Hey, let's, Let's do everything possible, whether it's taking the extra time to fletch fletch your arrows, make sure that everything's everything's perfect. Granted, I, I worked in an archery shop, so I I do everything myself, um, mm-hmm. which gives me, I guess you could say, that mentality that er- everything's perfect. But um, yeah, preparation and uh, have having the right mentality have definitely made a huge difference. Um, not only hunting in general, but I guess bow hunting when the odds are even that much more slim compared to like a rifle hunt or a muzzleloader hunt, you have to be optimistic. You have to be prepared. I'm kind of just repeating what we've already said, but it's, it's probably one of the, one of the biggest takeaways that I've learned over the last 10 years as my hunting experience um, has gone up is ha- having a good mentality and, and being prepared in in any way that you can has probably made more of a difference than than anything up to this point. For sure. So uh, before I let you go, do you have any uh, like good stories where you know either it was like an outrageous, crazy haunt or maybe another haunt that where you learned something about hunting a certain species and it changed the way that you hunt now? Yeah. Uh, the one, the one that comes to mind, this was probably, Oh, four, four or five years ago, I was hunting elk and came down to second to the last day of the season. And my, my buddy that I was hunting with hit a bull in no man's land. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I specifically remember we were supposed to be leaving the very next day because we were short on time off. We had to get back to work um, and we were quite a ways away from home. And so we said, Hey, I'm just going to leave my bow in the truck. This is me. I said, I'll leave my bow in the truck. We'll go look for your bowl. And we've got like a half day that we can hunt tomorrow or, or go look, look for your bull. And then we got to go home because mm-hmm. we're, there's no way we're going to make it back in time. And so we, we hike out there, we go look for blood hikes and gridded for two, three miles. Like I said, bull was hit super high, almost in, in the back strap. And so we, we felt comfortable that we did our due diligence looking for the bull. We started hiking out and a lot of these, I mean, it's end of September, bulls are screaming their head off. And we saw a group of elk filing up this draw to go up and over the saddle. Mm-hmm. And my buddy said, hey, I, I already hit one. I don't want to hunt, but we'd be dumb to not at least try to stalk them. Take, here, take my bow. Okay. 
And I was like, dude, you, you don't understand. I, I work at an archery shop. I know how inaccurate. And I, I've got a 32-inch draw length. He's got a 28-inch draw length. <laughs> so my, I, I even drew his bow back, and my front arm was bent so hard that it was like, dude, I, I will literally have to stalk or, or get to like 10 yards for this to be, to even give us a chance. And he said, well, better be sneaky go for it. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you blow it, then we go home and we make it, we make it back, back to work on time for the next day. So I, sure enough, I grabbed his bow. There was this five point bedded with, I think four or five different cows. And from the time that I split up with my buddy and started sneaking down this hill, the bullet bedded, fell asleep and his four cows got up and walked walked off mm-hmm. and kind of got back in with the bigger herd in the herd bowl. And the, I said, well, there's, there's a chance. Let's, let's do it. And so I slipped off my, slipped off my boots. Wind was in my face. I snuck down and there, there was 50 yards from the last group of trees to the bowl. He was kind of bedded in the open and sure enough, he picks up his head kind of looks around, starts feeding, and he fed within eight yards of the tree that I was sitting sitting behind. And so I, I drew back my buddy's bow, kind of looked down the arrow, put the whole sight behind the shoulder, mm-hmm. let it rip, and uh, perfect shot. He ran 60 yards and, and tipped over. <laughs> Granted, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend hunting with your buddy's bow, um, but it was – Probably one of the craziest hunting stories for me up up to this point was, um, I mean, there was no no rhyme or reason why we why we even should have tried, but we said, hey, if if I can get to ten yards, I mean, I I drew his bow back and shot at a dirt at a dirt clod and was like, hey, at, at ten yards, I know where the arrow's going, and so yeah, I got super lucky, shot shot a bow with my buddy's bow that was uh, way way too short for me. That's funny. It, it, it's funny because I actually, I have lent my bow out about, I think, five or six times in a similar situation where they didn't have the bow or something happened to their bow or whatever the case may yeah. be. And every time I've lent my bow out, somebody's killed something with it. That's awesome. Good good luck charm then. I, I know. And it's funny now when somebody so a couple of years ago, uh we were I was guiding in South Dakota and uh two guys that came from California and uh actually they they ended up hunting with me a couple of years in a row. He derailed his bow. And I'm like Brutal. I'm like, shit, dude, I don't have a bro- bow press. Huh. I don't know what we're going to do. I can't, I don't know how to get this right. back on for you. I said, it's a nightmare. You, know, you can shoot my bow. I said, let's, let's go out here. We'll throw a target out real quick and we'll see how you, you know, how you fare with it. And, you know, he shot it and it wasn't like, you know, you're not going to win a, a, a Vegas X <laughs> deal with it, but you, you, right. you know, it was for, for hunting purposes, it was fine. You know, like he could probably shoot maybe out the 50 yards if he, if he needed to. So I'm like, here, I go take my bow and I'm actually, I'm going to sit you in a tree stand because I want you to, you know, have a more controlled environment. I don't want to do spot and stalk with, you know, you're not being used to the bow and whatever. Um, Definitely. But yeah, put him in a tree stand. I said, well, 
I said, well, I'll help you drag out that deer later on today. He goes, well, he goes, are you that confident? I go, you, you just barred my bow. You're going to kill one. I know exactly. you are. And uh, sure as shit, he killed a freaking, he killed a buck that night. It was, uh, it was pretty awesome. cool. But Con- yeah, it's happened several times. I gave my, my yeah. cameraman, I gave him my bow a few years back in Wyoming. He ended up shooting a buck bigger than mine. I was so pissed. Uh, I wasn't <laughs> pissed. I was jealous. And yeah, it was just, you know, one thing after another. I've, every time I've ever, uh, on that trip, man, I was, that was like, I, I screwed it up so many times. I had this big buck that I really, really wanted to shoot and ended up shooting like a 135 or something like that on the last day. But anyway, he had a hard on for this one buck and I gave him my, I gave him my bow and I'm like, all right, man, go slip down in there and I'll stay back up here because he cracked the limb on his bow. And, uh, yeah, he got over there, a 75 yard shot with my bow he made. And that was just after taking, you know, four or five shots at a water bottle, you know. But we sh- he shot it out to seventy, um, right? Previously, you know, but just got got lucky that my the way my bow set up that it was comparable to his yeah, his uh, you know physique, I guess. Yeah, um, that's awesome. I I think just kind of in closing, one one other thing that has kind of come to mind is um i it's i probably wouldn't be or have the knowledge that i do today had i not had a couple of like mentors if you want to call them that or or people that were were willing to answer the right questions for me right mm-hmm. um pe- people that especially when i was really getting into bow hunting there were a a handful of people, whether it was at the local archer shop or on Instagram that I saw that were in, in the scenario that I would want to be in, right. Killing multiple animals with their bow every year in different States. And uh, I obviously didn't ask them, Hey dude, what, what unit should I go hunt? Um, (laughs) where, what Canyon should I go to, to shoot a bull? Uh, Obviously it it wasn't like that, but, um, I, I think, a lot of people are willing to willing to help. I mean, we all started out in the same spot. Every, everybody at one point or another was a hunter with no experience or little experience. And I've, I've reached, this is how I actually got to know Henry Ferguson was honestly just random, wow. random DM be. questions over, over Instagram. We've, we've kind of be really good, really good friends, but it was, it was honestly just asking, asking the right questions, not like, Hey, quick, quick fix, quick answer. What, where should I go to have success? It was more like, Hey, I, I have the goal to shoot a one sixty buck with my bow. I've been, I have an eye on this area or this, this mountain range in particular. Do you think that's doable? Or if somebody just got back from a hunt, say an Idaho elk hunt, for example, I'd ping him a message and just say, Hey, I've got some super general questions for you. If, if there was something that you were to do different, what would it be? Or if you had any advice for someone going in, in this area, where, what, what would you, what would you say? And granted, not, not everybody's going to be as open as, as some, but I think asking the right questions to the right people have definitely kind of put me in a spot where I've been able to jump the learning curve in in some areas, I still have a long way to go. I still have a lot to learn. Um, we all do, but 
Right. It's kind of they there's a phrase that says, hey, if you want to be better in a, in a certain aspect, surround yourself with five, five people that are better than you in, in that area. Right. Um, and so kind of developing those relationships and, and asking or having those broad and general conversations have, have helped quite a bit. And I think some people are a little more willing to help or give give general advice than than most people think Mm -hmm. yep i agree i mean my freaking dms constantly probably loaded constantly with questions but i mean i call i also encourage it you know because i want to be able to take those questions and and formulate podcasts from them but my wife is always like you should be charging people like you know (laughs) You yeah. should be charging people for this advice all the time. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to advocate for the sport. You know, I'm trying to help people out. And I wish I had this when I was learning, you know, when I. A hundred percent. There was no, and I, there was no internet. <laughs> there was no YouTube and all this other stuff right. when I was learning how to do that. And, 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 and I've learned a lot since the invention of, you know, the internet and, and YouTube's and all that other stuff and all the content that people put out. I, I still I learn every day. I mean, half of my motivation for doing the podcast is hopefully somebody will say something to me that I'm like, oh, cool. I'm gonna need, I need to do that. I need to add something to my repertoire. Now, you know, unfortunately, I hear a lot of the same stuff, but I've been doing this for 14 years. So the, the, yeah. the finding those diamonds in the rough are getting a little bit few and far between, but it doesn't stop me from searching for them. You know, like I, I really have this desire to learn, you know? So, and uh, I think if you want to be effective at anything, you always got to be a student of that, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Ab- absolutely. Always be willing to learn. And then, kind of tying back to what we said earlier, not, nothing beats time in the field, mm-hmm. but there is, there are a, a couple of things that you can do to kind of get a, get a leg up or take a step in the right direction. For, for sure. sure. Absolutely. Well, awesome, man. I want to thank you for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time. Was, yeah. Good, good chat. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk soon. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank you, John. Have a good one. Hey guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next show.